a huge believer in looking at way more than just food we eat. It's looking at or identifying, you know, what are the reasons that we eat? So thinking about your environment, who is supporting you or not supporting you? How do you feel throughout your day? Welcome to Power Up Your Performance, where we talk about how you can learn to think, feel, perform, and live like a champion. Hey everyone, welcome to the show. For those of you who are listening for the first time, my name is Kim Peek, and it is my mission to get you moving more and help you think, feel, perform, and live like a champion. Be sure to head over to my website at www.crushingmygoals.com and click on the free resources tab. And just check out what I have over there that could help you crush your goals. I am so excited to share today's interview with you. I am talking with Dina Griffin, who some of you might know as the nutrition mechanic. As a sports dietitian and an athlete herself, Dina understands the many challenges that athletes encounter. Whether your goals include improving your daily and training nutrition strategies, devising a solid competition day nutrition plan, or managing a health condition, She works carefully to understand your unique goals and challenges, and she will strategize with you to overcome obstacles, optimize all aspects of your nutrition, and meet or exceed your goals in a realistic and healthful manner. Dina likes to walk the talk, and as such, is a competitive half-marathoner, marathoner, and ultra-runner. She's also an age-group triathlete and a cyclist, where she has earned top placement and age-group wins in several events. For other activities she enjoys, she enjoys her HIIT workouts, hiking, snowshoeing, and open water swimming. You'll hear us talk about this at the end of the show, but this offer is so amazing that I want it out there at the beginning of the show too so that you can think about this as we talk. Dina has a new online course for endurance athletes and is offering listeners of this show a 15% discount. All you do is head over to www nutritionmechanic.com and click on the big orange button in the middle of the page. When you click, when you go to check out, type in the code power up to receive your discount. And I will put all of that in the show notes, but I just wanted it out there so that you can go check it out while we're talking. If you want to do that, after you hear this interview and learn a bit about Dina's approach to nutrition, I know that you are going to want to check out this program. So Let's get on with this interview with Dina. Today on the podcast, I have Dina Griffin, and I am so excited to talk to you, Dina. Thank you, Kim. I am excited to talk with you about all kinds of goodies today. Yeah. So why don't we just jump in and tell us, how did you get started down this nutrition path? Usually with anybody who does this kind of work, there's always a story behind it. I suppose I do have a few stories. You know, originally I was in software consulting, um, so I was a bit of a software nerd doing that for a number of years out of college um, in my 20s. And then I, so a couple things, and I'll try to keep it brief, but there were two things. One was my, my father was diagnosed with a terminal cancer. And, you know, I'm from the Midwest. We didn't eat well growing up and everything. And so with his cancer diagnosis, 
there was this big change in health and trying to just, you know, quote unquote, fight the cancer. And so part of that involved overhauling his nutrition. And some of that I was involved in, but I had no clue about nutrition and the power of it until I started getting into it. And he ended up living a longer time than what was you know, originally thought by his doctors. So that just opened my eyes quite a bit to like this food thing. There's something to it. Wow. And, and then I moved to Colorado and, you know, geez, everyone, anyone and everyone's like outside doing their athletics. And I got more into running, just marathon running. And, um, okay, how do you fuel your marathons? You know, I was still a software person, um, but I had a subscription to, to Runner's World, a great publication, but, you know, I was just following fueling guidelines given in the magazine, and my coach was trying to help me, you know, how many calories per hour? Um, I was trying to qualify for the Boston Marathon at the time, and in this big marathon that I had worked so hard for, I had terrible gut issues um, that basically slowed me down. I had to walk quite a bit in the last, I don't know, six miles or so. And I, I was just confused. Like I had done the stuff that I'd read and it didn't jive on that day. And so that those couple things, Kim sparked me to realize I had this interest, strong interest in the field of nutrition and sport nutrition. And so from that point, I quit my job, you know, went back to school, did the whole, I guess, early midlife change. But um, in terms of like crisis, <laughs> I'm going back to school. And so those, oh. that's that I guess that was a long story long. No, I love it. And I love that you approached it from from both sides, from the, the cancer and the, the somebody was sick and we needed to improve their health and also from the sports nutrition side and how you kind of came at it from both directions and decided this was what your new career was going to be. I think that's awesome. Yes. And I know you know well too, just the power of nutrition upon health and yes. um, treating and, and just what that can do. So yes, thanks for hearing that story. What do you think is the biggest misconception that endurance athletes have about how you eat on a day-to-day basis and how you fuel during a race? Ooh, biggest misconception. I think I think we're still in that cookie cutter sort of mindset. We're moving away from it, but I I just find and maybe it's a little skewed what I see, but I'm just seeing so much still that thought that, you know, I can just do what the next person does or it's really, you know, one formula that can work for most of us. Um, I, so I think we're, we're moving away from that one size fits all conception or misconception about fueling. Um, and the, But I also think there's the other side where athletes think, oh, my gosh, it's impossible to figure out what I need or it's just going to take too much time. It's so hard, you know, and, and it's just too much work, which is a little ironic when we look at, you know, Oh heck you're, you know, training 12 hours a week. We could put in much less time into your nutrition and you would feel better. 
Um, so it's almost like two ends of the spectrum, like just do this one thing or else it's too hard to do and I have no clue, so I'm not going to bother. Very interesting. So what are some of the types of things that the little tweaks that people can start with to change their the way they fuel their bodies? Well, I think, you know, little is probably relative to the <laughs> individual, right? Right. Um, but but you make a good point there in that it doesn't have to necessarily be this dramatic, extreme shift in your dietary pattern, that it can be, you know, little tweaks and fine tuning that can be done to yield a result where we feel more energetic. Um, So a lot of times just when I dig in with a new athlete, it's, um, you know, I'm not a big like takeaway kind of dietitian, like don't eat this, that, this, that, and a list of 50 things. It's more, can we bring in more um, vegetables? Can we make it easier for you to do some batch cooking Um, or, or, you know, a delivery service? Uh, How can we get a little more protein in? And let's just pick one meal of the day to start with. So I think really connecting with that person's starting point is important instead of shelling out this canned program like or a canned diet plan. It's really where is that person? What are they like? What are they struggling with? And then what's realistic to introduce in those small changes, you know, that eventually end up to big, big things. So is that how you would start working with somebody when you when you somebody first contacts you? What's the process? Yes, great question. I like to learn as much background information as possible. Um, so you know, it is some of it is just learning food preferences, but also what are the challenges and dig in right. Um, for example, oh, you don't have very good energy in your workouts and, and understand what's their training, what time of day, um, what kind of athlete, what's the background, you know, and, and just dig in all those layers. I'm sure, you know, you do that with your coaching as well mm-hmm. and, and goals and what is the lifestyle, who's the support system. It's like there's really no limit to how much information is helpful. Um, so it's, it's more than food that's important to understand because all of those other life things affects the nutrition choices and the food habits. Um, but I would say, Kim, it's pretty individual in terms of, um, what do we do first? You know, like we can learn all the info and then, and then what? Um, so that part I would say is more, geez, I've seen it all and done it all almost. <laughs> right. And it just, it sounds like it really just depends on the specifics of the person you're dealing with. You know, how much, how active are they? How much rest are they getting? What do they eat now? What, what changes do they need to make? You're right. Because yes, exactly. Because a lot of times, you know, when we're in our own minds, we, we don't really see from the outside what's going on. And so when you have that, third eye or that other person looking at what you're doing, then oftentimes it's revealed 
oh, geez, that's, that's the thing we can most easily work on that's least invasive and will be very supportive of your end goal. It's going to make a huge difference. And so let's pick that. But oftentimes that other person, the, the athlete on the other end, doesn't see it quite the same way. Right. So diet plans like paleo and keto and whole theory, whether you call them a diet or a way of eating or whatever, are very popular right now. What is your opinion on those type of that style of eating? Is there a place for that for an endurance athlete or is it another answer where it depends? <laughs> right. I could probably just say it depends to all these questions, <laughs> I know. you know, nutrition questions. But I mean, I think there are pros and cons. You know, I think understanding the reason we're drawn to a way of eating is important. So what is the problem we're trying to solve or what is the appeal um you know if it's social media telling you to do one of these diets or or plans then that's one thing but if there's a medical reason or something very specific we're trying to solve that particular plan may help um honestly i think a lot of these these i'll call it diets but a lot of these diets can teach us quite a bit, but the question is when we put it in the athlete context, is it the right time to implement one of these diets like keto, for example? We need to be careful when we introduce um, a high-fat, low-carb kind of diet for an endurance athlete because, at least with my approach, I'm always keeping in mind health and daily nutrition as that foundation, but are we impacting performance in a negative way? You know, so just looking at the timing, once we determine that that's a valid plan or ish, you know, a keto-ish kind of plan to follow. Mm -hmm. um, so I think we can learn a lot about food um, sensitivities or when we have structure in a diet like that, it can teach us about our habits or how our bodies respond, but I also see that we can do that without a, a name to diet, you know, having structure right. and things to think about as we eat. Does that make sense? Yeah. Well, I think that one of the, I know these diets can be controversial, but I do think that one of the positives is that it typically gets people to eat more fruits and vegetables more protein, and less processed foods. Yes, the three you mentioned, that absolutely can be the case, and it is, especially Whole30 and Paleo. I mean, I've like for keto, I've seen, you know, that's pretty low carb, so you don't even right. have much room for vegetables. And then I've seen the keto folks who do, you know, fried pork rinds as a snack with, you know, there's there's fat, so you're, you're meeting the goals there, but it's not offering much nutritionally. But I think overall, you're correct there. And I'm absolutely with you. Like it can teach us a lot about food quality. Is there a place for something like intermittent fasting in a way that an athlete might eat? Or is that something that's just going to drain our energy and not give us the energy we need to train? You know, that's a good one, too, because 
intermittent fasting for one, there's a, a number of protocols out there. You, you know, is it five days eating, two days off, or is it just an overnight extension of right. your normal fast? So there's so many different ways to do intermittent fasting. Again, for the athlete, what is it we're trying to achieve or bring about with intermittent fasting? So a lot of it is, um, you know, increasing your fat burning or let's do some other things for longevity. Um, you know, I think, again, this might be where that it depends comes in. But I think for, for a lot of athletes, I would say it's not the first thing we should do, if at all, to help with health and performance. There's so many other things like what you mentioned a minute ago, like, like we need to just eat more vegetables when we're eating. <laughs> mm -hmm. And let's start with some of those things. And then if there's some determination that fasting may help, um, if we're, for, for example, here's one thing I did with an athlete not long ago. She, she was just struggling to figure out um, habit eating versus biological eating. You know, there's so much stress and habit eating. She was eating so many times per day and, and not, it, you know, it's just so much like machine eating. And so she really connected with this idea of setting an eating window and she's a recreational athlete. We didn't have a big race coming up in four weeks or anything like that. Um, so we determined for her an eating window of just 10 hours a day. That's what she wanted to try. Um, eating a little later in the morning, you know, eating her dinner, but that 10 hours of eating and that was helping her just start to connect better with the act of eating, mm -hmm. um, having that little kind of rule in place. I, but it's not something I would say everybody needs to do, um, right. you know. But that's a good example of just of narrowing the window of when you're eating so that at night you don't start eating every piece of junk food that's in sight before you go to bed. Yeah, you think about it a little more. And then, of course, we hope that this helps in the long-term, short-term and long-term, the system in place of eating, you know, that it's not punishment. We're restricting you to 10 hours. It's, okay, what are we learning in this process? So that touches on something else that I wanted to talk a little bit about, and that is just the power of our habits. How I think what we eat can become just so habitual. You know, I eat the same thing for breakfast or I, at two o'clock I always go grab a Snickers from the vending machine at work or whatever it is. What are some things that people can do to start changing their habits or to develop better habits when it comes to their nutrition? Yeah, I'm so thrilled you brought that up because I think that's neglected in a lot of nutrition application that's out there. Um, I mean, it's more and more common now to look at habits, but there are a lot of approaches that ignore that um, important role. So I think for those of us who know either intuitively or just know from our observations that we need to work on habits, it's... Um, you know, what are the things that are most 
easily tackled. And, and I suppose this goes to the old cliche, like, you know, just one small step at a time. But um, I think looking at even a time of day, because how we start our day can determine how that day ends. So oftentimes, if we just take a third eye or be our best observer in the morning hours and start to figure out, you know, how is it we're starting our day? Do we start with movement or meditation or um, what kind of meal, uh, you know, and how long does that meal work for you? Or what are the things we do in the morning that set us up for a more successful day? Um, just starting with that time frame of, of a person's day can make a huge difference a and making it realistic like that. You know, you don't have to change 16 things. Let's change a few and work on, I like James Clear, uh, his Atomic Habits book for that oh. idea. Of, yeah, have you read that? Yes, I love that book. It's so great, that idea of habit stacking. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you want to mention it, Kim, but it's such a great idea um, and approach for, uh, you know, enabling that change in your environment and your, your system of the day or your system and habits for how we treat food and, and nutrition. Yeah, you know, we have used habit stacking with my daughter who has asthma, who does not like to remember her inhaler. And so we have her inhaler sitting by her toothbrush because teenage girls always remember to brush their teeth so they have good breath. And so now every time you go to brush your teeth, there's your inhaler. You need to also take your inhaler in the morning. That's beautiful, right? And it's not invasive. We're not, you know, pulling teeth to, well, no pun intended, right? But <laughs> it's like reasonable and it's, it's associated and then eventually that's just second nature. So I know also with just this whole habit thing that you're talking about, and as part of the way that you coach people on your nutrition plan, that you have people use a journal. Can you talk a little bit about how journaling ties back into that planning out your day and reflecting on making a plan for what you're going to eat? I love the journaling. I, I feel like it's a lost art almost. Um, but for the food and nutrition piece, you know, I like for athletes and anyone really to move away if they're pretty numbers oriented, logging in in a calorie tracker or a macro tracker. Let's, let's move away from that or take a break from it and start with a good old-fashioned handwritten journal or or maybe a document on your computer but what is it we're looking at in this journal and i'm a i'm a huge believer in looking at way more than just the food we eat it's looking at or identifying you know what are the reasons that we eat so thinking about your environment is someone putting you know the plate of whatever it is, um, you know, the break room cookies or whatever the thing is, it, what's, what's your trigger? What's your environment? Who, who is supporting you or not supporting you? How do you feel throughout your day? So that could be fatigue, 
energy, focus, um, you know, time of day that you do training or other physical activity, how is that happening? So also acknowledging the things that we do positively, not just negatively, but I mean, ideally taking some of that emotion out and judgment of ourselves and just being an observer of all the things that happen in our day. Um, you know, Kim, we're also busy. We don't even see what's going on sometimes. So I think this journaling tool and how it's set up is just to get us to pause and not think about food from a numbers perspective, like, oh, it's a 150 calorie snack. It's more, ooh, I'm hungry for a snack. That's because X, Y, Z. And look, I have some protein and it's this thing that's going to keep me sustained and then see how it works and just really noting that um, it can be a pretty powerful experience. I love everything you just said and not only because it's exactly what I believe. <laughs> I just think that journaling is so powerful for all for all the reasons you just said because and I think it's the one of the biggest missing pieces about any type of behavior change. I mean, and if you're trying to change your nutrition because you want to lose weight or because you want to improve your performance in racing, it's still behavior change. And I kind of think that you have to be your own, kind of like your own science experiment. You have to be able to track this stuff and see how you're feeling and how you're reacting and what else is going on in your life so that you can figure out what works for you. It's kind of like one more tool to uncover that mystery. I am with you 100% because, and I've seen it over and over. I mean, we think, oh, I can just follow this diet that gives me the meal plan to follow X number of calories, da-da-da. Maybe it's a fancy meal plan, but what is it teaching you about how to eat and what are the struggles or barriers or the things in the way that you that are keeping you from where you want to be in your life, whether that's from a body composition perspective or some other set of goals, you know. Um, and like you, you and I mentioned, or we were exchanging some notes prior, just like the whole mindset that's not uncovered with a meal plan, you know, or calorie tracking. Right. So what is, how is it you view your food and work with your food or not? How's it, how's it working? Yeah. I just love that whole thing. I think that's such, such an important piece that people think sounds like, some fluffy voodoo magic stuff. Oh, geez, that's for somebody else. I'll read about it, but I'm not actually going to do it. And I think that's almost the most important piece, maybe. Yes, I'm so glad you feel that way too. So when it comes to female athletes, are there any considerations as far as nutrition go that are different for females or things that they need to pay special attention to? That's a great one, too, and it's more of an emerging area in sports nutrition. Um, for example, for female athletes who 
have periods, right? We're not in menopause or postmenopause, I should say. Mm-hmm. How, yeah, how do we work with the monthly, you know, menstrual cycle? How does it affect our ability to train or or recover from training sessions? Um, I know there's, you know, some things out there to give some guidelines and to be honest, there's still a lot we don't know about the impact of um, hormone fluctuations upon individual um, female athletes. So we do have some good good starts there in the science. Um, paying attention to your menstrual cycle, low hormone phase, basically the first, um, you know, we say 14 to 15 days of the menstrual cycle. And then the latter higher hormone phase, um, the luteal phase. So how do these impact our ability to train, recover, and maybe even things like cravings or, or other infl- inflammatory aspects? Um, so even though we don't have conclusive, here's what we do as female athletes, starting to pay attention to where we are in our cycle and our training sessions and noting if we have difficulty meeting the goals of our training. Um, you know, women aren't small men, right? That that's right. But we are also very different from each other. So this is where that individual investigation of you as a female athlete needs to come in. Um, so I'm a little nervous about some of the general, like in the high hormone phase, it almost sounds like it's a big disaster and it's really different for every female athlete. Um, Some female athletes don't have much of an issue hitting their workout intensities. It depends a lot on what's going on with the nutrition and that I know I'm kind of glossing over your question a little bit um, just because there isn't a straightforward answer to, to that whole, what do we do as female athletes? Um, but just to acknowledge there are some impacts of just our basic menstrual cycle and the hormone fluctuations that we can work with and start to identify what needs to happen to affect, um, the ability to be a strong athlete. So I guess just a few examples quickly would be maybe shifting carbohydrate intake throughout the cycle or shifting training to better work with how we feel. Um, Instead of doing a whole bunch of stuff with nutrition, we can move training sessions around and maybe, you know, shift the programming of of the training and see if that helps if there's some evidence that we're not able to do the same kinds of workouts throughout a three or four week training block. That's a good point. I think, can I add one more thing? Oh yeah. Kim, the other, the other couple biggies I see with female athletes, especially like Ironman and the female ultra runners, maybe even some marathoners is just trying to eat enough. Um, And maybe that's not exclusive of just women, men can have that struggle too. But um, female athletes, geez, especially those of us with a job, a family, we're training, 
you know, hobbies and other things. Like, how do we make time to eat enough to support what we're trying to do as an athlete? Um, and being aware that that's a, a valid thing to be paying attention to. Um, so it's not exclusive to female athletes, but it is more common, I think. That's interesting. Do you run into people often who are not eating enough food? I would say it's more common than what we would expect. And, and a lot of times it's because, oh, geez, I'm trying to lose weight. And, you know, in this, I'm training for a marathon, I'm trying to lose weight, so I'm not going to eat, or I don't know that I need to eat certain amounts of food or hit my protein targets and may not know what that is even. Um, and that whole idea, like less food in, more energy out equals weight loss. You know, but it's not that simple when we're an endurance athlete, as you know. Right. So kind of related to that, I always, like my daughter was training this summer and somebody would tell her, okay, when you're done, go have a big protein shake. And I would always kind of say, you know, you kind of have to think about how much work you did and how many calories you burned because you can't go drink a 700 calorie protein shake and then expect to lose weight. So what are the actual guidelines for something like that? I mean, because I always kind of feel like you don't want to drink back the calories that you just burned. But again, I know that this is not just like a cut and dry situation. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But you bring up a really good point is thinking about what is the work that we just did or what is it we're about to do or even what's next, you know, the next morning. Um, and still sport nutrition science evolves. So we used to, yeah, say, you know, have a big protein shake within 30 minutes of your workout, no matter what. Right. <laughs> um, I, that's one of those things we would read or hear or it's still out there. But you're right, Kim, depending on the duration and intensity of what we just did, that protein shake per se isn't, for one, maybe needed right away. Or secondly, we don't need quite as much as we thought. Or even third, we can get our recovery nutrition in our next meal, especially if we're looking for body composition changes such as fat loss. You know, are we adding more calories than what we need? Exactly what you just said um, is a potential issue there where we replace more than we need or we aren't helping that change or shift in body composition. So in general, I think, you know, if it's an aerobic kind of training session, zone one, zone two, low zone three maybe, um, or, or a workout with very few intervals or, you know, not much intensity, and it's relatively short, which will be dependent on, you know, what kind of athlete we are. But let's say 60 to 90 minutes or less mm -hmm. and pretty low intensity, you know, we don't have to do a recovery shake or a big protein, you know, shake right away. If we're going to eat our next meal within a couple hours and we're eating 
enough protein and calories throughout the day, that's fine. We so we don't need to do that quick supplement or a quick recovery shake. No, um, no. I think we get into more tricky areas there where we've got two training sessions in a day or someone's at risk for eating too little and they're training quite a bit. Mm -hmm. I don't know if this applies to your daughter, but we would want to make sure um, there's no underfueling to that degree where the body starts conserving quite a bit just because it needs to put energy towards basic metabolic processes, you know, like weight loss right. isn't going to happen. I need to just take care of my digestion and my, <laughs> my basic functions to stay alive. Um, right. So we'll worry about weight loss later. Um, so those cases where we might say, all right, you know, let's put in a little two, 300 calorie goodie after your workout, because we know you're, you're at risk for, not even getting enough calories, even if we're trying to support some body comp changes. Yeah. So that's all really interesting and really good information. But again, I think it goes points back to why if you're not seeing the changes that you need or that you want, why it's good to reach out to a professional who can help you because there's so many different aspects to it. There are. And and just keeping up with what we know and learn from the science and the research, you know, I, I mean, it's sometimes challenging for me to keep up with everything that comes out every day. So for those who aren't into reading all the research papers because they have 500 other things, <laughs> having a um, sport dietitian can be just like a, another kind of coach, someone to guide you. And it doesn't have to be forever. It's just getting you situated with where you are in your current life path. Yeah. So I have one, uh, a few more questions for you before we wrap up. I want to talk just a little bit about, let's say somebody has a fall marathon. It's always really confusing to people about how do you fuel during that marathon? What do you eat? When do you drink? How much do you drink? How much do you eat the night before and the morning of? Can you kind of give us just some rough guidelines and then tell people how they can start learning what works for their own body? Sure. Let's see. Stop me if I go too long with this, but <laughs> <laughs> rough guidelines. One, right? <laughs> I mean, if you've got a marathon in the fall, let's say late October or you know, November, I'll call fall just because, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, now's the time to start really paying attention to your before, during, and after, especially for these long runs that add up every week or that come in every week. Um, not to say we shouldn't pay attention to the other days, but the long runs are closest to that marathon distance. So, you know, really, it's that day before your long run start. Here, here we go, Kim. Let's put a journal in place mm -hmm. and and write down what you're eating the day before that long run. I mean, a lot has changed with what the guidelines say or what I might advise. Like, you don't necessarily have to do low fiber. You know, eat. 500 bagels or, you know, lots changed. But I would say for that person, just start writing down what it is you're doing and connect the dots. So how 
the next morning? What is it you're eating? I always encourage some protein in that pre-run meal. So not just a banana or not just oats or not just the bagel if you're a bagel person. Mm-hmm. Put the protein in and that helps that meal extend its sticking power. So oats with nuts and maybe you have a boiled egg, for example. Okay. Um, so that pre-meal, including some protein, hydration-wise, depending where you live, you know, you may need to really pay attention to that if you're in a hot, humid climate or you sweat quite a bit. Um, so that might be drinking, you know, 10 to 16 ounces of fluid in the hour before and in the two hours before. It could be more or less than that. Um, you know, the during, that's also an area, Kim, where, geez, we have so many options for fueling now. Uh, you know, it's not just energy gels. We've got um, uh, you know, it's not just classic energy gels even. We've got different kinds of gels that are chia seed based or um, whole food based like rice and mashed banana or we've got, you know, zero sugar options. So that's one where I'd say if you are an experienced marathoner and you've had GI issues, stomach upset or gut bombs, Let's change up what you've done in the past. And that could be the timing of your fuel or the, the type of fuel um, or even the amount. So see that we're already opening more cans of worms here because it's not, it's hard for me to give the rough. It's more exposing you to what we can look at right. <laughs> to fine tune. But I feel like, again, like what you said, this goes back to keeping your journal so if you can start to make those connections, you know, what did I eat? How much did I eat? What brand, you know, if you're using a sports drink, what brand did I use this time? You know, how did it help right. my energy? Did it make my stomach sick? I mean, I feel like this is something that's so super individual, but there's like, it is needs to know to look for. But, you know, if you don't want to use a coach or a dietitian or whatever, this simple tool, like just start looking and noting. And if you're struggling, then yeah, reach out um, or get some tools, uh, education for yourself. Um, Because it isn't a straightforward, you know, have a gel every 42 minutes and eight ounces of water every time or this much, you know, uh, Gatorade. There's so much that's different for every single athlete. Um, so I guess the rough guideline is start with the journal, pay attention to the day before, include some protein in your pre-run, long-run breakfast, um, and don't undervalue hydration because that definitely can shut down our performance much more quickly. Awesome. Okay, now you do a lot of really amazing coaching things with people, and you also have a new course that is out. Can you tell us a little bit about what you offer and about the course and then how people can find it? Thank you for bringing this up, Kim. Yeah, I do one-on-one nutrition coaching. So, you know, that can be a single consultation or more of a two-month or six-month alignment or arrangement. And again, that's to support also 
habit change and just really working on the ins and outs. But this new course that I have called Endurance Nutrition Primer, an online course, it's, it involves um, four and a half hours of videos, but it's all education and empowerment tools for the endurance athlete. And I mean, almost everything we've talked about today is included in this program, like fueling guidelines, how to get started for yourself, hydration, what to look at with your daily nutrition to really optimize that for yourself. Um, it, I mean, it's empowering, but it's educational, which go together. Um, but it's it's there and it's $97, although I think you and I are going to offer your listeners um, a coupon code. Um, but it's there, unlimited access, and it's really a starter tool for people who are buried in confusion or just like, I have no idea what this nutrition thing is and I need to get started um, it's just an online course for you and it's uh, available uh, a new newly available I'll say <laughs> but um, I'm really excited about what it offers the endurance athlete and this is geared specifically to athletes then right I would say fitness enthusiasts and endurance athletes yeah okay and if some, so that's a great course for somebody who's an athlete. Do you work with people on their nutrition who are not sports minded or athletic? I do. Yes. I work with a number of people who also have, um, you know, a medical condition they're working through and maybe they have aspirations to become more physically active, but it's not in the cards right now because we're trying to address a medical condition or disease state. So I would say things like um, diabetes, uh, PCOS, um, some digestive conditions or autoimmune conditions. So yes, to your, to your question. All right. And how do people find you? What's your website? Nutritionmechanic.com is my website. And is there a link to the course from there? Yes, you'll see under the nutrition coaching or even from the homepage, there's a link to the Endurance Nutrition Primer Program. All right. And I'm going to put links to all of this in the show notes, but I just like to get that out there on the audio in case somebody's all excited while we're talking and they're wanting to go do it right away. So we do have a discount code available for people when you go to check out and buy the nutrition course. They can type in the word power up and that will get them 15% off of your nutrition course, right? Yes. Awesome. All right. Is there anything that I did not ask you that you want to talk about? I feel like I, I blabbed quite a bit, Kim. So I'm, <laughs> I'm good. And I guess I just want to say a thank you to you for, I know you've had other dietitians on and you talk nutrition here and there, but I just, I love that you, um, you know, feature nutrition on your podcast because it is so important for everyone, not just athletes. So thank you. Thank you. All right. One final question then. I close out every podcast by asking the following question. Power Up Your Performance is all about learning how to think, feel, perform, and live like a champion. What are three traits that you believe all champions possess? 
This is such a powerful question. And I would say the three traits would be expressing and feeling gratitude would be one. I think the trait of being present or learning how to be present in where we are in the moment is a pretty powerful trait that a champion possesses. And then my third trait, Kim, would be always learning to, I would say always learning or being able to learn from hardships, uh, challenges, and even our successes. So all of those three would be my uh, traits that a champion possesses. I love all of those. That's great. Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast. I really enjoyed our chat and I hope that you get a ton of people to sign up for that nutrition course because I think it can be so helpful. Thank you, Kim. This has been wonderful and I am just grateful for this opportunity. Thank you for taking time out of your day to listen. I'm Coach Kim Peek of Power of Run and you can find me at www.crushingmygoals.com or on all social media as at sign power of run. If you liked this episode, be sure to give the podcast some love over on iTunes and remember to subscribe as a new podcast. Your reviews and stars and subscribes will help me grow the audience so that I can share my love of health and fitness and bring more experts to the show. Power up your week and I will catch you next Tuesday.